You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Wendy Harris, head of EMEA at Gong. How is it going today, Wendy? It's great, Aurélien. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. It's great to have you. So, you know, we've been following Gong for a little while, and it's good that you guys are finally coming into Europe. We can't wait to get closer to you. But before we get going, today we will speak about radical candor, a leadership style every manager should know about. I didn't know about it before the, 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 <laughs> the conversation today. But before we go into the conversation, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself, why you joined, you joined Gong, uh, and your career in the tech industry, please? Sure, happy to. So um, I actually spent the first 11 years of my career at Goldman Sachs, where I worked as a trader in London and Chicago. So I was in financial services for a long time. But I saw the light and I realized I wanted to move home to Dublin. And Dublin is a thriving hub for tech firms. And my, my brothers worked in Google and Facebook. So I was trying to change industries from finance to tech. It definitely was harder than I expected. So I took a a contract marketing role at Facebook to get my foot in the door. Did that for a while. Then went to a company called AdRoll, where I ran their UK Ireland sales team. Um, then moved on to Dropbox, where I spent two and a half years um, leading European sales. Um, and then UKI sales, then European sales. And then most recently before Gong, um, I was at a company called Car Gurus, um, where I ran their European sales team. So I will say that I definitely was not looking when Gong came along. Um, I had never seen the product. I'd heard the buzz. Um, I heard, uh, I knew there was something special about the company. So I took the call and I'm very glad I took the call because when I did see the product, I was, uh, my mind was blown because I didn't realize anything like that ever existed. So um, I'm lucky to be working for a company where I am absolutely obsessed with the product and uh, fully bought into what I'm doing on a daily basis. And revenue intelligence as a category is the new big thing. So tell us a little bit about revenue intelligence, because I think there is, you know, as, as we discussed when we prepared the, the, the episode today, and, you know, I think revenue intelligence is quite a familiar concept in North America. Uh, I, I think it's, it's getting there into Europe, but probably at a, at a slower pace. So could you just, summarize a little bit the concept of revenue intelligence for our listener, just so we can make sure that everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. So essentially what it's doing, it's solving a universally painful problem, which is a lack of visibility. And by that, I mean, when leaders want to understand what's going on in their business, they'll go and they'll look at their CRM and they'll look at dashboards and they'll see the results and they'll see, you know, win rates and they'll, and they'll see um, various different sort of, you know, revenue closed, but what they don't see is um, any insight into what's happening at the critical point of execution. So they see lagging indicators, not leading indicators. So that's where Gong and the revenue intelligence category comes in. So essentially the way it works is we capture interactions across email, phone, web conferencing, and uh, we integrate with the CRM and we, we, we use our artificial intelligence to pull out insights to tell you why did this deal close and this deal didn't, did not close? Why is your top rep your top rep? Which one of your competitors is really a problem which your clients are actually speaking about? 
So it, it basically pulls back the black box, which exists right now. Um, and we all know, you know, CRM serve a purpose, but the information CRMs is stale. It's distorted. It's missing information. You know, you have something like 6,000 um, words on a, on a call and 30 of them make it into um, Salesforce or CRM. And so I think it's basically filling in that black box. It's showing you what's actually happened. So you can base and make business decisions based on facts, not opinions. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and tell me about the importance of revenue intelligence. I mean, obviously, you, you, you were not with Gong as such during the COVID period. So we, we kind of coming out of COVID, but we all hope so. I mean, yes. Great to go back to the pub. Let's, let's please keep them open. But, but what do you think is the importance of, or how important do you think is revenue intelligence in, in, in the current market, which is, from my perspective, pretty much changing every day? Uh, with 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 the 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 COVID restriction lifting, people going back to the office, not coming back, walking from home, we're not too sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's turbulent times, and I think what sort of COVID revealed was obviously the world changed on an axis overnight, and sort of what it showed was the tools from yesterday, the sales tools we had, um, no longer sort of really answered solve the problems of today, right? So suddenly everyone's remote, everyone's working in their kitchens, all of the learning by osmosis. Um, that used to happen on the sales floor that went away. And this thing about visibility, how do you have visibility into what you can see the activities that your reps are doing, but how do you actually know with a qualitative conversation what's happening? How do you ramp? How do you bring people on board? Um, and, you know, new hires, I started at Gong two months ago. <laughs> like, thank God I started at Gong and can use Gong to onboard because otherwise um, I would be in a precarious position. But I think it's basically... It's solving this problem that now I don't think anyone thinks everyone's going back to the office five days a week um, forever. So I think, you know, hybrid or remote work is here to stay in one form or another. And obviously, this is a huge problem that companies are trying to grapple with. Um, but I think a tool like Gong or the Revenue Intelligence category solves, gives you the visibility into what's happening on the front lines and helps onboarding is such a critical like time drag, right? The time to productivity. Um, is key in terms of bringing on new hires in this new world. And, um, you know, and, and, and honestly, a survey of our customers showed that a 60% decrease in ramp time. So I think when I worked pre, pre-Gong in my, in my last job at CardGurus, when COVID hit, obviously everyone saw a spike in churn. Um, we saw increased uh, question marks about billing payments. We wanted low, uh, longer, uh, shorter contract lengths. And I think something like a tool like Gong gives you is, um, it can it gives you the leading indicator that this is a this is a firm asking for um, asking about contract length. This is a firm that looks like it's showing churn signals. So it gives you that insight before it's too late. And I used to spend my life going around and asking all of my reps, be like, "What's happening?" You know, and you ask ten different people, and you get ten different answers. And they say, you know, it, it's it basically just pulls back the curtain and tells you, okay, this is actually really a problem. This is actually what's going on before it's too late. I save you the time of asking uh, ten thousand questions to go to the yeah. which is great. So l- now let's let's talk about. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't want to. I know we, we want to speak about radical candor, but I'm always uh, uh, interested to understand the, the the scalability plan. Obviously, the European market is different market from the US, different region, different languages, different cultures. So, can you tell us? I mean, obviously, you probably can't go into the details of your strategy here, but you know. What's your main focus over the next few months, few years to scale across Europe? Sure. 
I think in general for any, uh, well, first of all, I always like to give a plug to um, Frontline Ventures did an excellent report, um, uh, like Stephen McIntyre wrote an excellent report on what US B2B firms get wrong about launching in EMEA. And I really recommend that as a read. So what they say is in terms of timing, you need to think about, you know, is your US business well-funded? Or is, your, um, is, is it a priority for their exact team? Is there strength and depth in the exact team? Is there a local pull from the market, right? So, so with Gong, there was definitely a local pull from the market. We already have over 100 customers in, in EMEA without having ever outbound sold here. And, um, you know, we support 26 different languages. So, so there was a real pull in the market. And the way we think about it and the way, you know, from what I've seen at Dropbox and other firms that I suggest people think about it is, don't try and be everything to everybody on day one. There is, um, you don't have to start and try and sell to SMB and to strategic accounts on day one. It's, there's a lot to be said for focus. So focus meaning, um, you know, start, look at your maybe a company's sub 1500 employees or sub 1000 employees and get a foothold and get a base and get your reference customers and learn product market fit. Um, and feedback from local markets, which, which, as you said, will be different to the U.S. And you will come across different challenges like, you know, privacy or um, GDPR, et cetera, et cetera. So get that product market fit, get your custom references, understand what, what segments you play well in before you move up market. And then also when you think about scaling across countries, you know, if you think about what's most similar to the U.S., well, you, uh, you know, U.K. and Ireland is, is a pretty is probably the safest bet to land in Europe in terms of similarities. We're not very, we're not entirely similar, but we're not totally dissimilar. Um, and then beyond that, it's like, OK, well, where is there very strong English adoption? And Nordics is an obvious place. Um, the Netherlands. Yeah, exactly. The Netherlands. Um, in Dropbox, we had a ton of business in South Africa, which is a very similar time zone and obviously English speaking as well. And then beyond that, France and Germany are the whales and you need to land France and Germany, but you need to approach with caution because while, as you know, more than most, I imagine while they are, um, you know, huge opportunities, it's also critical you get them right. You need to think about things like works councils and, uh, you know, again, the privacy and the local regulations. Um, so I think it's about scaling. So two things to think about is one, the size of the customer you're selling to and to the cadence of the country scale out. You don't need to be everything to everybody on day one. You should think about it in terms of phases. Good. Now, I think it's a great strategy. Well, good luck with Olet. I'm sure you guys are going to do a fantastic job uh, going in Europe. So we, we, we're looking forward to witnessing a, a great growth and some, some great clients. And as I said earlier, I'll hopefully do more work with you uh, now that you are closer to us. So let's talk about Stradical Kendall now. So you know, in the preparation of this, this episode, we, we spoke to you and, and you are very passionate about that leadership style. Uh, this is coming from Kim Scott, uh, which is ex-Google and wrote a book about it. Um, so, so can you just tell us a little bit more your take on radical candor, what, what, what yeah. it means? Yeah, um, it is something I always, any, anybody who works for me, I ask them to read this book um, because I think it's just, it is, a, it is what I would consider certainly my Bible of leadership. Um, and, and I think the best way to explain it is there is an X axis and a Y axis. And it's about, I think it says something, there's some cheesy tagline, which is something, how to be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity. But the, um, the X axis is there's things like to, to care personally and the Y axis is challenged directly. So you, the quadrant you want to be in is the quadrant called radical candor. That is where you care personally, but you challenge directly. 
the three other quadrants are manipulative insincerity, which is a terrible quadrant. You don't want to be in that. It's where you don't care, you don't challenge. The uh, <laughs> obnoxious aggression. Oh, which wow. Is, yeah, obnoxious <laughs> aggression. You want to stay away. I mean, the girl, I know, right? yeah. Yeah, obnoxious aggression, which is where you don't care, but you do challenge. And I, in full disclosure, I have been known to bear into that category occasionally with cross-functional stakeholders. And then the other category where a lot of new managers, especially, um, find themselves is ruinous empathy, where they do care, but they don't challenge. And so it's, it, I, you often see people prioritize their need to be liked over what's best for their actual employee. So they are unwilling to have a hard conversation with someone or a straight conversation because they worry the person won't like them. And that is not good leadership. And, and when, you, when you say caring, is it caring about the individual or? Caring, caring about the mission of the company, caring about your job. What it's caring, caring about the about individual. Everything? So I, I see leadership as a privilege and it's a very hard job. It comes with a lot of responsibility, but you need to care about the individual and care about the person and you build trust and you build a bond with them. But caring about someone doesn't mean that you never give them any constructive or tough feedback. Yeah. Actually, the kindest thing you can do to someone is, is tell them the something to their face. You tell them the truth, right? Um, and I think people really prioritize their own comfort over hard conversations sometimes. So this book gives a framework for how to think about having tougher conversations. And actually, it's for the best of the person. You're, it's the kindest thing you can do. It's not the meanest thing you can do. It's the kindest thing you can do. It's really about respect and, and helping others to develop, basically. Somewhere. I mean, when you are in the right quadrant, and I agree with you, sometimes you know, we, we witness people and we probably have a few in our own organization that really put the work. We've got some really workouts, people like, you know, 12, 13 hours a day. And, you know, you just the way they could interact with people that may be on the same level, but maybe doing a little bit less because I don't know, some people have kids, some people have things that they can't be, you know, sending emails at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 in the evening. Um, you know, and, and these are people that really care, that don't mind sending, you know, being challenging to the other but the question is do they really respect the person and also i think there is it's an interesting thing about the caring because i've also seen people who think that they care about the individual but the, the receiving end or the person at the receiving end don't feel that they are being cared about that they are not being respected yes. so i think there is two elements there is an element of and that's how i speak to it i speak about it with my team and i'm gonna get that book and put it in the in i was about to say i'm gonna put it in the lobby so everybody reads it but you know, <laughs> I'm not to the office at the moment um but i think it's really important to have that sort of of balance between providing the feedback but also that it's how do you create that caring relationship so people feel cared about and it's do, do you get them to meet socially? I mean, do, do you think it's more difficult now with the fact that everybody is online? Because I, that's what I feel. I feel that it's more difficult to get people, and maybe it's because I spend too much time in England, where <laughs> you put on the pub to make friends, right? Yes. And, and I find yeah. it a bit more difficult. I would love to be able to go down to the pub, but actually the pubs in Ireland only opened properly yesterday. So that's exciting for the first time in 18 months. But no, to your point, I'm a big believer in... Um, Yes, obviously face-to-face when it's possible, right? Everything over Zoom, it's it's far from ideal. Um, But what I will also say, so there's times when you need to go for a walk with someone on your team. You do not need to sit in a conference room and talk about their pipeline. You need to go for a walk with them. And if you ever have to have tough conversations or you're trying to build a relationship, you need to invest in that one-on-one time with the individual and FaceTime with the individual. 
I will also say I, I am a big believer in um, the work of Dr. Brené Brown, and it's all about vulnerability and the power of vulnerability. If you you need to show vulnerability to your people and be, if they see you being straight with them and sharing you know, your struggles or your insights with them as well, then they feel they can have a safe space to do the same with you and you, meet, you get to a different level. And so what I mean like that, I've, to, I've spoken to my teams previously about mental health. I've spoken about, you know, some of my health issues in the past. It's like, I'm not bulletproof. No one's bulletproof. And if, if you look like you're unapproachable and they can't get, they can't um, sync with you on the same level because they just, you're too sort of, you're, you know, they can't connect with you, then that trust will never really get built. So it's really about showing your vulnerability, trying to open up conversations and setting the example. If you lead with vulnerability and being honest and saying, I don't know, help guys, I don't know what to do here. I have some ideas, but I need your help. Um, you'll get a lot back from the person. No, I agree. I, I think it's, it's, it's so true. And it's particularly difficult to think, you know, when you are a leader at the top, 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 which usually takes people who are relatively passionate about what they are doing and, and people who care a lot about a big mission and you know, obviously have probably quite a strong work ethic and all that stuff, great stuff. You know, it's, uh, I find it difficult sometimes to put my passion in my back pocket, you know, when I want to get things done. And, and, and it's so funny that I need to apologize to people, just say, look, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, the message that I sent to you or the conversation that I had to you or the way we interacted probably completely overwhelmed you. But look, think about the content, not the form. And I apologize for the content. You know, I should have probably just give you a couple of phases and let you think about it, sleep on it, versus just like kind of coming as a machine gun and just say, let's get it done. And this is exactly how we're going to get it done. And well, it's quite, it's quite overbearing for people. And it's probably not showing them a lot of respect if, we don't, if, if I don't actually give them the opportunity to, uh, to ask the right question or think for themselves. So that makes sense. I'm definitely going to read that book. But, but Aurelian, what you said there, though, is you said, I, I said, sorry, like, guess what? I make mistakes every day. We all do. We're all human. So the fact that you acknowledged it, you said sorry, and you showed the self-awareness to do that with people, they're like, oh, thank goodness. You know, then it's great. It's yeah. like, so that's the thing. It's leaders being willing to say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Like, I've gone into a meeting, yeah. I had something bad happened in my personal life. I've gone into a meeting, I've been in a bad mood and I've taken out of my reps before. And I remember one specific example where I did that, you know, a few years back and I took them into a room later that day and I apologized. I said, I'm sorry, I, I, I could have dealt with that meeting better this morning and there was something going on. I didn't come out. Of it. And it's like going, you know what? We're human, right? So we will get things wrong. It's okay to apologize. Yeah. Um, and it, you get so much more respect when you're honest about it. Yeah, just uh, but my last conversation of that nature was to apologize for being selfish because the conversation that I had with the other individual was just to make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was trying to make me feel better and I ended up making you feel shit. So I can't, I can't work that way and I should really not do that. So apologies. But no, I, I agree with you. So can you give us a couple of examples of, of, of situation in which you've seen it working extremely well and, and situation where maybe you've not seen radical candor working as well in, 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 your, in your professional life? Sure. I can give you an example. I think that people always think it, we don't, it doesn't even need to be employee, to, um, um, you know, manager to rep. What I think it can be as well is like your rep to customer. So if you think about the credibility you get with a rep for, for example, I remember a moment, my last company when we were on um, where I saw a client was on a trial and the trial didn't go that well. And the rep didn't 
try and hide from this. It happens sometimes, right? There's various different factors that go into how a trial might perform. And so what the rep did was the rep did genuinely also care about the relationship with the customer. I said, look, I'm sorry, this didn't go well. I understand, you know, if, if we didn't meet, live up to your expectations, I'd love an opportunity to extend this. But if you want to part as friends, that's okay. And obviously what happened was that customer was like, you've got so much credibility with me because I can tell you care about my business. You're not being fake. You want me to succeed and you're not trying to sell me something that's wrong for me. So it actually started a fantastic relationship where the customer went on. It's grown and grown ever since. So so I think when you if you think about it in the professional context with customers as well, if you're honest and um, and if you're honest with them and talk about, you know, when it's not going right, rather than trying to be fake about it, then that's a great example. Right. Um, I think where I've seen it go horribly wrong. I remember somebody, and this is called the ruinous empathy quadrant. I remember someone being fired. I sat in a room with a guy who was being fired and the manager was firing him and the guy had no idea he was being fired. And he was about to walk out of the room, not knowing he had been fired because the manager had used such vague language and talked around everything rather than said exactly what he needed to hear because she found the words too hard to use directly. And so Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. I use that phrase a lot with my team. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Um, And, you know, people think that they're being kind by putting a load of padding on it. Be straight. Gong has an operating principle of no sugar, which I loved when I saw that. I was like, oh, goody. And it's not it's not a it's not an excuse to be, you know, a bad person and be aggressive and be it's not that it's about you know, asking permission to say it straight because that poor person who is being fired deserved to have the, have a straight conversation and to understand what was being said. I had to intervene at the last minute before I walked out the door because I realized he didn't know what had actually happened. Um, and that was a, that was a catastrophe. And I think that man, that was a young manager, a, a new manager, and they learned a lot from that. Yeah. You, you raise a good point here because obviously you are an experienced manager. Uh, I'd like to think that you have been also around the block for a little bit, but I remember the beginning of my career as being a manager and it was particularly difficult because I was promoted from within. So I, I had to manage basically my friends, which is not easy. And, and you've got to really think about emotion, right? Because they probably don't feel good about that. But it's, it's not about me, it's about you today. What, what advice would you give to less experienced leaders? Like people who are starting their career, and, you know, obviously they can't get everything right straight away. And I know you already spoke about a few things, obviously. Uh, humility. You know, being able to apologize is kind of driving the culture. But what do you think are the key core value or the key things that, that, that a young leader should, should really lose? I think if they got, if they made peace with it, it's more important to be respected than liked. And by that, I mean that you have a responsibility to be unpopular sometimes. Get used to being the bad guy sometimes. And it's okay. That's part of your job. Um, and if you cannot get past that level of discomfort, um, you don't, you shouldn't be a manager. So you need to make peace with the fact that you will have to have hard conversations and you will have to be unpopular um, and that it's part of the job. Um, so I would say also, if there's a conversation that you wish you were having, but, you, but you're not having, or you're talking about someone behind their back, or you're saying it to everyone but the person, that is a major red flag that you should be having that conversation with a person. So I am always hardest to my people's faces and I promote them behind their backs. Or sorry, when, when I'm in a room without them, I promote them. But the toughest conversation you should have to someone on your team is to their face, not behind their back. 
And, and it's, it's about having integrity and it's about having the strength of character to be able to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. So keep challenging yourself to do it and think about the phrase clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And also if you were the other person, would you want to be talked about behind your back or would you rather someone set it to your face and gave you a chance to fix it? Yeah. And, and I also think, you know, that another major mistake I see is people leave, leave performance management conversations to the last minute or they're vague or the person is surprised that all of a sudden they're on a performance improvement plan because their manager hasn't been having those conversations. So it should not be one big dramatic conversation. It should be a series of, so um, by the way, I noticed this this week, that's, you know, my, my feedback to you is X, Y, Z, please don't do that again and move on and then shake it off. You know, don't carry it with you, shake it off, put it behind you, move on. So, um, but I think getting comfortable with being unpopular <laughs> is, um, is, a, is a, it's just a fact of leadership. You've just got to be. Yeah, there, there is so, 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 so much great, great things from what you're saying. Like, you know, the, particularly the point about letting the situation fester a little bit. Well, yeah, uh, we, we see that with, with younger managers where they don't really want to tell off people or they don't want to have that non-comfortable conversation with people. Um, and what we're trying to coach them is what we were speaking about earlier. Uh, you are helping them. Mm-hmm. So basically not giving them the feedback there and then quick on it and, and basically just, uh, just trying to brush it under the carpet, you know, being in denial of the issue and, and kind of thinking, well, it's okay, it's going to get better. It's, it's terrible things. You need, you need to be on it. You need to speak about it at least and you, try, you need to try to put something in place. But yeah, we, we, we see that as an issue. Again, you know, from our side, we do a lot of promotion from within. So there is always like a, a, a four months to six months time frame for people to really get up to speed. So now we've got a much better framework. We've got, a, we've got an operatics academy as well. So we help our managers to, to get quicker onto this concept. But we, we, I'm going to use the clear is kind, unclear is, is, is unkind, uh, because I think it's a, it's a great concept. Um, and actually, have- Aurelian, sorry to interrupt. One thing I'd say that I've seen work really well and that I do with all of my teams is and do it once a quarter or um, certainly twice a year is this, it's like speed dating feedback. And what you do is you have all of your team members and you give everyone a sheet with the name of every, of different people um, on the team. And they have to write three things I appreciate about you. And one thing I wish you would do differently. And everyone, everyone gets paired and they have three minutes each. And it's only between that person, each person, the individuals, the two individuals. But I do it with my team. And so all of them are forced to tell me one thing they wish I would do differently. And so it gives them permission to give me feedback. And it also might show me some blind spots, right? So they're not uncomfortable because everyone has to do it. It's just me and the person and I'm doing it for them as well. And I think I've seen that work really well. So it's like three minutes speed dating everybody one-on-one and it's it's and everyone gets to take away their sheets at the end of the day as well and reference it and when they do their next quarterly feedback session they can see okay has anything changed or is there um is there a trend has anything improved here but it just makes it normal it's like it's not a big deal giving feedback three things i appreciate about you one thing i wish you do differently and everyone on the team is paired with each other and everyone gets to give each other feedback because even reps you can know reps have issues with each other as well which they grumble about behind their backs but they don't actually address it so this is an opportunity to help instill that culture of feedback. Yeah, we are, we are implementing something at the moment. It's, it's different, but it's, I guess it's got the same, uh, the same objective, which is really getting feedback on the managers and the people. We, we are implementing the 360 feedback. 
which is basically each manager. I'll start with myself and my team, so we'll see what they what they come back with. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, but, though. Uh, you did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need to do it because you know we want our managers to feel comfortable about it. Um, so we wanted to 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 do it to their managers before they get their team doing it to them. But I think it's also very important to understand what the team thinks, you know. And in there, we've got things like, um, you know, uh, uh, respect. And I think we may want to rephrase some of it based on the conversation we had this morning, you know, about so, some of the things that you mentioned. But it's really about trying to understand if the leader is really helping. Because again, sometimes I think, and particularly for the younger leader, you you may tr- you may think that you are doing your best, and it happens to me when I when I grew up in leadership to think I'm doing the best, and then realizing six months later that I was I was actually getting it completely wrong, and and that's where we want we we think that the feedback so you know either the speed dating which we should also do or the and, and I think the speed dating is actually quite interesting because with everybody working from home you could be paired to pretty much anyone in the company or you know it doesn't need just to be your, your direct report so it could be also kind of nice way to meet new people in the organization, people you don't have the chance to speak often with. Right. Um, but the 360 feedback, yeah, we, we, uh, we, we, we're going to push that out and see what, what happens. Have you, um, I, I don't know if you're if you are a Netflix uh, uh, fan yeah. or not. I am a Netflix fan, yes. Yeah, well, I've been, you, you know, I don't think we had the choice of our, <laughs> of our COVID-19. Exactly. Do. But there is a program that I watch. Now, I've been thinking about it quite a lot through the conversation, which is called Last Chance You. Oh, uh, I don't know it. Yeah, well, have a go and try to watch it. It's there is a few seasons. So there is one season about American football and one season about basketball. And if you watch it, I don't remember the name of the people or why it was, but it was someone in a, in in California, I believe. And it's a, it's a basketball coach who is taking really unprivileged kids that are you know probably not really good to get to the right university, but are absolutely amazing athletes. And basically, that's their last chance in life to do something with themselves. Because if they don't become a good basketball player, no chances are that they will go back to do some bad stuff. And, and I think for the people who are listening to us that are not really keen on reading Radical Candor and read a book about it, but wants to understand the concept, they really need to watch Last Chance You. Because I think it's, it's, it's quite an emotional thing as well. But it's a coach that gives them so much shit. The way he speaks to them passionate, telling them off. He tells them off in front of other people, right? So he does it, you know, he will tell you off in front of the rest of the team, right? And he doesn't hesitate to put them in the spot and everything, which I think is, when I was watching it at the beginning, I was not too comfortable with because I was like, that's a terrible way of leading, right? You should put them Mm -hmm. apart, stick to them. But then you realize the back end of it and how much he cares for them. Right. All the things that he does for them. And this is, from my perspective, you know, kind of really aligned with the conversation today. He's a man that really cares. He's, he's full of passion. But yeah, when it comes to when it comes to crunch time, when he's got something to tell you, I mean, he's radical. He's radical. He's clear. He's, he doesn't sound unkind, but I think he's really helping them. And the reality is that they go and win that championship. So he actually get them to the top. So they also achieve something exceptional together during the season. So yeah, something and, that and they probably good. want to run through walls for him. They want to do it for him as well because they know he cares. And you can see all the moments. You know, it's emotion because some of them are up, down. There is some guys that he gets through, some other he doesn't get through. And you can see how it's playing on on their mind on both sides. So you can see the leader, and you can see the the, the player. And it's I don't know. It, it's quite an interesting 
It's full of, of emotional intelligence, basically. And I think it's really well done from Netflix, the way they filmed it. Uh, I don't know how much of it was scripted or not, but hopefully not too much. But yeah, I think it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not Kim Scott book, but I think if people don't really want to read too much about it, and I think get a, a, a context of the radical candor, last chance you, the basketball one is, uh, is, is one that they should watch. And I will encourage you to watch you and give me your feedback. I will. I will. Absolutely. Well, I think it also brings back to all of the best leaders capture the hearts of their people. Right. So think about how much more that means people will go the extra mile for them because they know yeah. they care and they want to give back to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that's, and you mentioned that earlier on is, but the, it's about being uh, very true to your feelings as well. I have situation, I've got to admit that situation where I found it very difficult to care about people. I had, I had situation where I found it difficult to strike a relationship with people, even if they were good, because for some reason, you know. Yeah, not everyone clicks with everybody. That's normal. But I think I grew up now and, you know, I think I've, I've, I've got kids, I've got all that. So I think it changed you a little bit in life. And now the people who are coming in are not, I don't maybe feel as much as I'm competing with them or whatever. It's more like, you know, you've got, you almost treat them as your kids, right? It's okay yeah. to not be perfect. And, and I think one thing that has really changed in, in my style is that maybe 10 years ago, I used to probably care because I knew that I had to care or be look like I'm caring. Mm-hmm. Well, now I, I can say that I genuinely, genuinely care. And I, I think it's easy for me to say because it's my company, right? So, you know, it's yeah. very important because being genuine in all that, in all the things that we are discussing today, is also very important because the day people realize that you are starting to manipulate them and absolutely on agenda. I mean, that's probably when that's probably when the things just explode in your face, right? So they can, they can smell it a mile away if you're being fake. But also, um, it's funny what you said there about kids. I um, I don't have kids. I have um, a horse and a dog, and I never wanted kids. But I um, but I joked I joked to my previous boss. I said I don't like kids, but I feel like I've got sixty of them. <laughs> you know, so I do. I do feel like the mama bear with them. You know, I have responsibility. I want them all to to achieve their dreams and keep them honest. And that's what I think about. I want you to be able to go buy your house, your holiday. You're, you know, by the engagement ring, by whatever, a horse. And to do that, I need to be tough with you right now because you're, you know, so that's how I think about it. But yeah. yeah. Life, life is, uh, life is real. You know, it's not real. So you've got to get it, uh, get it now. And there's nothing better than helping people. You know, we've got a few, but people get into the, we've got, we call it the six figure club uh, or people getting their first house. You know, Amazing. The house warming party. You just got to hear your little part of it. It's just, it just feels very nice. But anyway, we're getting to the end of it. We, we've been spending far too much time together, Wendy. I think we could probably carry on forever. Um, <laughs> I wanted to thank you so much for your insight today. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Now, now what I'd like to, to ask you is that if people, let's say I'm a European company, I love what you had to say about revenue intelligence, or I want to speak to you about leadership or whatever. Basically, I want to have a chat with Wendy. What's the best way to get hold of you? I'm on LinkedIn. So Wendy Harris on LinkedIn. And, um, and also you can contact us through the Gong website, which is gong.io. Um, so I'd be happy to chat. That's great. Well, thank you again. It was great to have you on the show today. Appreciate it, Aurelian, and wish you very, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale 
required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.